Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. Topic for today is a very important one, and it's on the importance of a free press and the dangers of censorship. And we're going to go over two examples of good reporting on important topics that was censored and then smeared as Russian propaganda. All right, so very important pieces that were censored and hid from the public, and then also before they were totally wiped, they were smeared and delegitimized. Why do we need a free press? And when I say free press, I mean free to write about any topic and free from the censorship or retaliation from a government and or media outlet. The debating of specific parts of a story is always fair game. That's what everyone should be doing. If you have an issue with a story, you discuss the specific facts or parts of the story and offer a counterpoint against them. You don't just smear the writer with personal attacks, generalizations, and speculation about motives. Now more than ever, we need to identify these ad hominem attacks and demand better from the people using this disingenuous political tactic to smear their opponent rather than enter into a good faith discussion on the specifics. Okay, this is happening far too much in today's media culture, and it's very important for us as citizens to identify it so we do not fall victim to it and then go one step worse and repeat this shit to other people. In most cases, when a person or a company starts attacking someone on a personal level, you can be sure that they cannot debate them on the fact of that topic, right? You hear this shit all the time. They're a puppet for Putin. They're a Russian agent. She's an Assad toady. He's a white supremacist. He's a sexist. He's a homophobe. He's transphobic. You know, and if the name calling isn't enough to make you sick, the new trend now is in addition to doing that, then you start calling for some sort of action against the people you disagree with. He should be fired. He should be arrested for treason. The Department of Justice should investigate him. He should be censored. He should be kicked off Twitter. Facebook should close his account. YouTube should demonetize him. What the hell is happening in the mainstream media? What do you think when you hear shit like that? I hope you understand we're at a point in our history where we cannot blindly accept the mainstream media, their narrative, their talking points without a healthy skepticism of the content, right? I've said this a million times. We're so skeptical of a lot of areas in our life. We're skeptical when someone tries to sell us something. But for some reason, we don't look at the media as sales, Right? We don't look at the media and their narrative as trying to sell us something, and we need to start being skeptical of the content. The easiest way to sort through this BS, in my opinion, is to instantly become skeptical of a personal attack or an evidence-free attack or generalizations and name-calling. Right? If you hear any of those examples before they offer any facts to back up their claims, an internal alarm needs to be going off right, to wake you up because you need to pay better attention. I mean, personally, I won't even continue to consume those products because I already know that they're not interested in the facts of the matter. But if you wanna to continue to listen to that stuff, just please use extreme caution and make them prove their point of view to you with the facts, right? In multiple named sources. The, the, the principles of journalism, the ethics of journalism that have been lost, if we apply those to what we're listening to, it helps us easily separate 
the good from the bad. And why is a free press so important? Freedom of the press is essential to democracy. Freedom of press ensures legitimacy and power of the people towards government. You know, why is a free press required in democracy? The freedom of the press, protected by the First Amendment, is critical to a democracy in which the government is accountable to the people. Free media functions as a watchdog that can investigate and report on government wrongdoing. How important is freedom of the press in a healthy society? A free press disseminates information and ideas among the citizens, contributing to a people's common storehouse of knowledge. It improves the workings of representative government by helping citizens communicate with their governments. It affords the citizens a means of calling attention to violations of their rights. The shared theme is holding power accountable, right? And the protection of our rights. The only way to do that is with a free press. Do you, does everyone understand how important that is? Without that, the government can do whatever they want to do. They can say whatever they want to say. They control the narrative. And when you can control the narrative, you can control society. So it is very important to have the checks and balances to keep the people in power from not abusing their power and abusing the people that they rule over and control. That seems pretty basic to me and seems very, very important. Why is it that when we look at history, we can identify these dangers, right? Like when we look at like how the Nazis came to power, like it all makes sense because we understand it, it didn't start with gas chambers, right? It started with that one party controlling the media. They controlled the message. They controlled the narrative. That one party decided what is true because they were able to censor speech and they silenced the opposition. So without that freedom of the press to point out all of these issues as the Nazis rose to power and were able to do what they did, that was only possible because there was no free press. There was no opposing point of view. There was no open discussion. There was no checks and balances. That's what happens when power goes unchecked. And that's the worst possible scenario outcome. You know, there's plenty of examples throughout history, yet we have a harder time making the connection in today's politically charged environment of identity politics. And for some reason that breaks all the safeguards that we can identify in history, but we can't even identify in our everyday life. Suddenly our allegiance is to your group, right? And that prevents the, the free speech and critical thinking on a subject. That identity politics, your talking points are prepared for you and your, your defense of your orthodoxy is already a prepackaged smear against your opponent to delegitimize them or their point instead of addressing the subject matter and having a good faith discussion on the facts. Today I wanted to look at two huge news stories that involve very powerful and influential people. Stories that the public needed to be aware of because it may change how you feel about the people in charge and offer, you know, God forbid, a look into their motives or maybe conflicts of interest that may affect their decision making. First, we're going to look at Adam Andrzejewski's reporting on Anthony Fauci. So this is Adam Andrzejewski. So according to Adam, Dr. Fauci is the most highly compensated federal employee and the most visible. So it's incumbent upon all of us to give him oversight. Can everyone agree on that? Right. Put your feelings aside, whether you like him or you don't like him or you don't even care. Can we all agree that the more powerful the person is and the more influence they have over people, the more oversight is necessary for those people? Like that makes sense in my brain. And I hope that makes sense in everyone else's brain. Because the running theme here 
is let's not focus on the content and the personalities of the stories we're covering. It's the overall fucking point of keeping power in check. In 2011, Andres Juski founded a national transparency organization called OpenTheBooks.com. Last year, they filed 47,000 Freedom of Information Act requests, the most in American history. They successfully captured and displayed online $12 trillion of federal, state, and local spending. Over the past 14 months, they've investigated Dr. Fauci's financials by filing FOIA requests, and we're going to kind of cover what happened to him as he did real reporting. So a brief summary of Andrew Juski's work, and this is, this is from him. So, quote, Over the nearly eight-year period, my articles were apolitical and used hard data to fact-check Republicans, Democrats, and unelected bureaucrats. Since 2019, he published 112 articles for 13,031,558 views, an average of 116,000 views per investigation. And he gave us three examples of his original reporting. One example was he reported on the Biden administration left behind up to 600,000 weapons, 75,000 military vehicles, and 16,000 night vision devices in their hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan. Another example of their reporting was Donald Trump did not drain the swamp. The swamp grew by 50,000 executive agency positions during his four years. Last example of their reporting, in 2004, Dr. Fauci received a permanent pay adjustment for his biodefense work, right? So in other words, Fauci was the top paid federal employee precisely because he was paid to stop a pandemic. And one of the first pieces that he published was in 2021 when he broke national news that Dr. Fauci was the most highly compensated federal employee and even out-earned the president, four-star generals, and 4.3 million colleagues. That piece alone had 900,000 views. And also, according to Andre Juski, quote, immediately I published the evidence behind the lack of transparency at Forbes on January 12th. No Fauci's records aren't available and why won't the NIH immediately release them? During an entire year, the NIH had refused to produce Fauci's job contract, job description, non-disclosure agreements, conflicts of interest, financial disclosures, ethics agreements, and royalties subject to the open books FOIA request. In October 2021, we sued the NIH with Judicial Watch, and we still have not received the 1,200 pages promised by the agency. End quote. So rather than Forbes helping Andrew Juski obtain those 1,200 pages of unreleased Fauci financials, Forbes shut down the column. And what Andrew Juski found, here, here are the bullet points in his reporting. The Fauci household net worth exceeds $10.4 million. The earnings and gains, so the salaries, benefits, royalties, investment gains in the Fauci household exceeded $1.7 million in 2020. Fauci's wife, Christine Grady, the chief bioethics at NIH, she made $234,000 in 2020. Fauci made between $100,000 and $1 million as an editor and board member of McGraw-Hill. And finally, in 2021, Fauci was awarded a $1 million prize for speaking truth to power from the Dan David Foundation in Israel. So those were some of the big bullet points that came out of the reporting. Forbes had a problem with it because the NIH had a problem with it. And instead of helping their reporter track down and get transparency for the American people, they squashed the story. Andres Juski went on to say, I am a transparency advocate, and it is one reason why Forbes chose me to contribute. 
Currently, there is a war on transparency at NIH with 633 FOIA requests past due, triggering 33 lawsuits from various parties in federal court. Good journalism holds the agency accountable. In fact, since my appointment in May 2014 at Forbes, I only wrote about government transparency and accountability. All 206 investigations followed the money and properly cited the original research of our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com. End quote. So this guy is all about transparency. Doesn't matter if it's Republican, Democrat, or some unelected health official, his quest is transparency, which, as I've covered a million times, I deem is a noble cause. And I don't see why anyone would want to have a problem with that. But the NIH, they pressured Forbes, and Forbes folded, right? Within 24 hours of the NIH email to Randall Lane, the uh, regular Forbes editor, Forbes barred me from writing about Fauci and mandate pre-approvals for any future topics. Then Forbes went silent and terminated my column roughly 10 days later on January 28th. On that day, Forbes canceled me. The editors bent the knee. A new piece on Fauci published, Fauci's portrait will hang in the Smithsonian. So I recommend everyone check out the Adam Andrzejewski stuff with his Open the Books Dot com, his National Transparency Organization. And listen, forget the subject of his investigation. Forget about that for one quick second. This kid has a track record of doing the right thing and advocating for transparency. He wasn't somebody different before and has changed based on the political wins. This is a bona fide journalist with integrity, doing reporting that the American public needs to hear to hold accountable one of the most powerful people over the past two years. Our second example is by another amazing journalist. If you don't know who Glenn Greenwald is, you need to follow him. Again, integrity. He's cared about civil liberties his entire career. He's one of the most decorated, award-winning journalists of our generation. In 2009, he won the Izzy Stone Award for Independent Journalism for his reporting. In 2010, he won the Online Journalism Award for his investigational work on the conditions that Chelsea Manning was dealing with. 2013, he won the George Polk Award for National Security Reporting. Oh, in 2014, he won that little award called the Pulitzer Prize, the biggest award for journalism for his Edward Snowden reporting. I only say that to say this guy has credibility and went to cover a story that he tried to cover for his own paper or online publication, The Intercept, which he helped found, which they tried to censor him on, and he fucking resigned from his own business for integrity reasons over censorship. We're going to look at Glenn Greenwald's Substack article that you may or may not heard about recently that the New York Times now admits the Biden laptop that was called Russian disinformation is authentic. And Glenn says, one of the most successful disinformation campaigns in modern American electoral history occurred in the weeks prior to the 2020 presidential election. On October 14th, 2020, less than three weeks before the Americans were set to vote, the nation's oldest newspaper, the New York Post, began publishing a series of reports about the business dealings of Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden and his son Hunter in countries in which Biden, as vice president, wielded considerable influence, including Ukraine and China, and would again if elected president. So I don't know if you remember this, there was three weeks before the fucking election, Biden is leading in the polls. This New York Post story comes out, and it was a big deal, but was immediately put in the crosshairs of the mainstream media. And you had people 
like Natasha Bertrand saying the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation, dozens of former Intel officials say, right? And this is what they do. They have these throwaway lines like dozens of former Intel officials say. Well, these former Intel officials did not actually say that the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation. In fact, in their letter, they stressed the opposite. Here's what they said. Those Intel officials said, quote, we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails provided to the New York Post by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement, comma, just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. This is the kind of shit we need to be better at. They tell you they have no evidence, and then they still gaslight you at the end saying, yeah, but you know what? Our experience makes us deeply suspicious. That does not equal journalistic integrity. You should not use that fucking paragraph to then repeat the talking point that this is Russian disinformation. But in our fast-paced world of headline reading and not giving a shit about the details and not having the actual time and energy and will to investigate this shit, that's what you get. So as a result, all these emails were Russian disinformation, right? So that means they were fake and that the Russians manufactured them. And that just became the battle cry of the media. So they didn't even have to address any of the specifics that came out in these stories, because if you can just label it Russian disinformation, you don't even have to dignify it with a response. Yeah, no one said, well, this part of the story is wrong because X, Y, and Z. No specifics were discussed. Again, when that radar should go off in your head is when this shit happens. When they just chalk it up before even going through it. In virtually every media outlet, CNN, NBC, PBS, Huffington Post, The Intercept, and all the other ones... They just began completely ignoring the substance of the reporting and instead spread the lie over and over and over again that these documents were a byproduct of Russian disinformation. And this is from Zero Hedge. The di this disinformation campaign about the Biden emails was then used by big tech to justify brute censorship of any reporting on or discussion of this story. Easily the most severe case of pre-election censorship in modern American political history. Twitter locked the New York Post's Twitter account for two weeks. Two fucking weeks. And this is three weeks out but from a national election. The world's oldest fucking newspaper got their Twitter account suspended for two weeks before the election. Due to its refusal to obey Twitter's orders and delete any reference to its reporting. The social media site also blocked any and all references to this reporting by users. Twitter users were banned even from linking the story in private chats with one another. Facebook, through its spokesman, you know, that longtime DNC operative, Andy Stone, he announced that they would algorithmically suppress discussions of the reporting to ensure it did not spread, pending a quote-unquote fact check by Facebook's third-party fact check partners, which obviously never came. But also remember that it was just revealed in court that the Facebook's third-party fact checkers are, quote, giving their opinion rather than actually deciding if something is factually correct or not. That came out in court because they got sued. We covered that. So again, fact checkers equals bullshit, equals opinion. So the New York Times article comes out recently saying that everything in that New York Post article and all the emails that they were referencing has been verified. And the emails that they had in those chains, those email chains, match the ones word for word in the archive. So here we are, 
a year and change after that historic election, we find out the story that was suppressed and sold as Russian propaganda was fucking true. And everybody worked to suppress it. Everyone was on the same team from the mainstream media to social media for one reason. Everyone did not want Trump to be reelected. So everyone was okay with censorship and burying these stories because everyone in the mainstream media and the social media companies, big tech, everyone did not want Trump to get reelected. So they felt totally justified in doing this crazy shit. Greenwald said, what this means is that in the crucial days leading up to the 2020 presidential election, most of the corporate media spread an absolute lie about the New York Post reporting in order to mislead and manipulate the American electric. The real reason most liberals and their media allies do not want to hear about any of this is because they believe that the means they used, you know, deliberately lying to the public with CIA disinformation, are justified by their noble ends defeating Trump. But today's admission by the New York Times that this archive and the emails in them were real all along proves that gigantic fraud was perpetrated by the country's most powerful institutions. What matters far more than the interest level of the various partisan factions is the core truths about the U.S. democracy revealed by this spectacle, end quote. So I hope everybody can see the problem with the censorship, the problem with the free press not being able to work correctly and hold people in charge. Even if you didn't want Trump to get reelected, that's fine. But it is not okay to resort to these tactics that are so dangerous to get what you want. Because as we've discussed a million times, it's not about this example. It's about the precedent it sets going forward. We have no chance as a society to continue to live and prosper in a free society without the free press and the freedom of speech. I've said this a thousand times. Forget the content of these stories. Forget about how you feel about the people involved. Focus on the bad precedents that it sets. These examples, they focus on a level of deception that our government, media, and politicians are willing to use for their political and personal gain at our expense. So please find reputable journalists with integrity that only care about telling a story and letting you figure out how you feel about it. You know, listen to the journalists that are not sponsored by the people they're supposed to be keeping in check and investigating. Resist the urge to repeat these stupid fucking talking points in these smears. If you catch yourself saying anything about fucking someone being Russian or a white supremacist or a racist, you got to stop yourself. It's too easy to say that shit so you don't have to argue the facts of the case. We need to be better and we need to realize how important the free press is to preserve this myth of America that we used to live in, but we don't anymore because everyone's forgotten about freedom of speech, the freedom of press, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Everyone's been co-opted into this crazy narrative of safety and we need bigger government and we need more oversight and we need more censorship. It's all fine. It's all well and good when they're censoring your opponents and the people that you don't agree with. You know, when they keep dividing the 99% of us into these little fucking groups to keep us divided, the vaxxed and the unvaxxed, blue, red, Republican, Democrat, racist, not racist. This is intentional to keep us divided, and we need to do a better job at identifying that and holding the people in power freaking accountable. So be vigilant 
in what you read, be vigilant in what you believe, and please be very serious and pay attention to what you say because that matters. You know, you might say something and you're only like, well, I only told one person, but maybe they told another person and then they told another person. It's a ripple effect. And this works both ways, good and bad. And remember, free press disseminates information and ideas among citizens, contributing to a people's common storehouse of knowledge. It improves the workings of representative government by helping citizens communicate with their government and affords citizens a means of calling attention to violations of their rights. So if you're interested in a better representative government, if you're interested in a better, healthy society, then you're all aboard the free press train, the freedom of speech train, and don't put up with the censorship and don't listen to anybody who just attacks people on their personality and talks in generalizations that doesn't address any of the facts. Ah!